everybody. Welcome back to Freedom Speak. I'm your host, Becca Marie, on KDAZ, Albuquerque's Conservative Talk, 96.9 FM, 700 AM, and listen from anywhere at conservativetalkabq.com. And I'm here with my guest today, Joe. And that was uh, Heroes by Motorhead. I love that song. It's yeah, got it such a great, great. beat to it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, we're hearing about these Durham indictments and on this whole, uh, what do we call it? The, the whole Trump fake dossier, Russian collusion hoax that was pulled over this country and, in my opinion, was something that really prevented Trump from doing some really great things in our country. And despite that, he actually got a lot of things done, which is really, really a testament about how good of a president he was. He really did. What was his motto? Promises made, promises, promises kept. kept. Exactly. And he did. Mm -hmm. Despite the best efforts of the Democrats and the corrupt swamp, he managed to get a lot of things done. Yeah. You know, I really have a lot of respect for uh, our former president. I mean, can you imagine being under that kind of duress day in and day out and still being able to do your job. It's amazing. You know, being president is stressful enough as it is. It is. We've noticed over the years, I've noticed presidents, they go in looking pretty young and, and vibrant, and then when they come out, they've got gray hair, and it just ages they them. They look so old. It's a stressful job. Mm -hmm. I am guessing that probably... You, it's like 24-7. You never get a break. No, you don't. And, you know, even in the middle of the night, they can come. You say, Mr. President, we have an issue you need to deal with. Right, so. right, which worked out okay for Trump because from what I understand, he only needs about three hours of sleep a night, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. How does he function? I don't I get it. I have no idea. I, I don't get it. I do that. So we're going to talk a little bit about Watergate because, and the reason I want to talk about this is because it often gets mentioned. And... It barely was within my time. It's like I'm I'm almost 60, and this happened in the early 70s, this whole scandal. And uh, I don't think a lot of younger people uh, have any idea what it is. I remember hearing the news reports of Watergate when I was a little kid, constantly coming over the news all the time, and I didn't know what it was. All I know is I remember Nixon at one point in time stating that he was not a crook. <laughs> and I remember his speech resigning from office because they were going to impeach him. Mm -hmm. They were going to throw him out. Mm -hmm. And they had good justification to do it right? because of what happened. So anyway, so we did a little bit of research on that. And we thought that we'd share that with you, what Watergate was. Basically, what it involved was people involved in, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Joe, People involved in the Nixon re-election campaign, yes. what they did was they were trying to get dirt on the Democrats. So what they did was they broke into the Democrats' election headquarters. Uh, it was the Democrat National Committee. National Committee, okay. And it was located in the Watergate complex Watergate building. complex in D.C. Yes. And so what they did was they broke in. They tapped the phones, mm -hmm. and they stole some confidential documents. They mm -hmm. were trying to get some, some research to help them win re-election, yeah. essentially is what it involved. Yeah, and that was a very um, 
hostile political climate at the time because the United States was embroiled in the Vietnam War. Right, and there was a lot of division among people in general about the Vietnam War, which is really sad because there was a segment of the population which really treated returning soldiers really badly. It was horrible. It was really horrible. I mean, I take my hat off to those veterans. Um, they had no say-so. They were ordered to go. Yeah. There, there were some that, that said, I want to sign up, don't get me wrong. But the majority of them said, you know, I have orders, I have to go. Uh, not something that I wanted to do or would have wanted to do. Uh, just because of the political climate, that was uh, that was a tough war to win. Yeah. Well, in hindsight, you look back at the at that war, and personally, I I wasn't in favor of it either. At least the way it was executed was it was meant to fail. Yeah, it was, and uh, you know, but this is small small stuff compared to what's going on today and there's so well, many parallels totally. so so basically what happened was how they got caught was the first time around when they broke into the democrat national headquarters they apparently they messed up on tapping the phones mm-hmm. and so the phone tap wasn't working right so what do they do they go back a second time break in a second time to tap the phones correctly and they get caught by a security guard <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so they get busted, and so, let's see, okay, so go ahead and go with it a little bit more, Joe. I've, I, I've been reading about this thing. Uh, there was a guy, let's say it was Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. Woodward and Bernstein, doesn't that sound like a talk radio show? It, it really does, and it also <laughs> sounds like a law firm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, th- those two were both Washington Post reporters. right. And uh, they did win a Pulitzer Prize, you know. Um, the Pulitzer Prize. Only they were actually reporting on something that was real instead of the exactly, fake Pulitzer Prize these exactly. people got for the <laughs> Russian dossier, which was completely bogus. That's right. But they got a lot of their information, too, from an anonymous uh, whistleblower um, that they happened to call Deep Throat. Right, and, and that's also a name, I think, of an adult film, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Let's keep it clean. <laughs> And uh, anyway, he later became known as um, uh, W. Mark Felt, and he was a former associate director of the FBI. And so he was supplying a lot of information to these two reporters who were writing up the article. I do remember at that time uh, when Nixon was in the White House, uh, this whole case was getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and he knew eventually, um, you know, it was going to catch up with him. I mean, there was just no doubt about it the way it was going. Right. But yeah, the wiretaps failed, like you said, and a security guard basically started, you know, this whole process. And well, and ultimately cut. Nixon ended up sh- ended up shooting himself in the foot because for some crazy reason, I don't know if the reason has come out for this or not, that Nixon had a recorder hidden in in the Oval Office. He did. And any meeting that was going on in the Oval Office was recorded. Yeah, it was, and. Uh, those tapes, um, I think he took them with him when he left the Oval Office, and they were in his personal possession. I'm I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember because I once went to the Nixon Library, and uh, you know they cover a lot of information about about right. that. But you want to know what what really got him into trouble? Um, it was his obstruction of justice. What he had done was he, um, 
him and his aides, they hatched this plan and they instructed the Central Intelligence Agency to impede the FBI's investigation of the crime. And that was a more serious crime than the actual break-in Well, was. yeah, because the CIA is not supposed to operate against American citizens. No. It's not supposed to be operating in the United States. It's, it's supposed to only be operating in foreign countries. Right. And, well, we just had an incident like this with uh, President Trump. Uh, remember when they had come out and they said, well, Trump shouldn't be using the Department of Justice as his personal uh, attorney firm, right? Yeah. Because uh, people were getting upset. Well, in, in a way, that's kind of what, what happened here when he wanted the CIA to impede the FBI's investigation. He was trying to use one organization against the other, both you know, in law enforcement, I guess you'd say. The other one's intelligence, but um, that was a very serious crime. Yeah. So it was an abuse of presidential power, and it was deliberate uh, obstruction of justice. And ultimately, after the tapes were ordered to be turned over by the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. yeah. ultimately Nixon, before he actually got impeached and convicted, he actually resigned. Right, right. And so that was pretty much, from what I understand, that's all Watergate was. That's now, all it was. Now, compared to what's going on with this whole scam on this Russia collusion nonsense with the fake dossier, much, much worse. <sighs> much worse. The indictment is mind-boggling. So you, you did some research on that. I so, did. So um, I'll let you take the lead on that one. Well, um, this gentleman that's named Sussman... First off, the indictments were uh, for Michael Sussman and Igor, you said, Dechenko. Dechenko? I think they call it, pronounce it Dechenko. That's how I've heard it. Anyway, right now those indictments um, are for them, and anybody can go on the Internet and read these. Now, these indictments, normally when when they send an indictment out, it'll be maybe two or three pages long. Um, The indictment on uh, Michael Sussman is let me see here is 27 pages long and it's called a speaking indictment and what that means is durham is basically trying to paint a picture of what happened right okay there's many different levels to this there are a lot of people involved uh some of the information in the indictment has been redacted i'm sure for national security purposes but you've got researchers involved you have uh, computer engineers, you have tech people involved. Um, there's many people involved. I think this is just the beginning of the indictment process. I think a lot of people are going to be indicted before this is all over. But what they were doing was they were literally trying to tie Trump to this Russian bank. And, and it explains it in the indictment. And these uh, people that work within this computer system, what they were trying to do was tie it to this one email. And the email is listed in the indictment also. And it was something like, I'd have to go back, it's many pages and I can't find it, but it was like one Trump-email.com uh, or something well, like that. Well, and another thing, too, that's big with this is that these people were denying that they were in any way involved with the Clinton campaign, which was a total lie. It was a lie, and it says that in the indictment, too, because Durham has evidence, apparently, that 
uh, as this investigation was going on, a Sussman was billing the Clinton campaign for these various meetings he was having uh, for this particular research that he was trying to do in tying Trump to this Russian bank. Anyway, long story short, it turned out that the email was nothing more than an email that had belonged to a marketing company, a separate marketing company that was uh, mailing out various different marketing materials for like the Trump hotels mm -hmm. and the Trump businesses. And they were trying to tie this to that email to say, see, he's been colluding with the Russians. Uh, what they later found out was that there's no evidence uh, whatsoever for this. And I think you remember when Comey came out, he said there's insufficient evidence. Right. The FBI director. Um, so this never went anywhere. And Trump was right all along. He was. I mean, when he gave that interview on 60 Minutes, I don't know if you remember yes, that. Yes, I, I saw that clip, and she was like... Who was the host on that? I don't remember. I don't remember her name. But she was like saying, well, this is 60 Minutes. And right. it's like, you can't say that. And, and she says, there's no evidence for this. Well, he said, yes, there is. It's all over the place. And I have a feeling that probably Trump's Secret Service was advising him that, you know, they were trying to do this. Because there's nothing that goes on in the White House that the Secret Service doesn't no, know No, absolutely not. You know, so... I don't know if he got it from the Secret Service, but I would imagine it would have to come from people in the know, and they would definitely qualify for that. <laughs> so anyway, let me just kind of go over a few things here that's in the indictment. And what it says is that um, according to one of these articles that was published in a major U.S. newspaper, Intelligence officials possessed information concerning what cyber experts said appeared to be a mysterious computer back channel between the Trump organization and a Russian bank. Okay, and that's that email I told you that belonged to the marketing company. Does this have anything to do with that uh, computer that Hillary Clinton had that was apparently in a bathroom somewhere or some weird place on her personal property? Uh, I didn't read that in okay. the indictment, okay. so I don't know. I bet it does. But anyway, um, as it goes on, here's what got Michael Sussman in a little bit of trouble. So he has some information on this supposed, you know, connection, right? And so what he does, and by the way, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a, an attorney at a major international law firm, Okay. They have, and it mentions in here, it's an enormous amount of employees. It was like 1,200 employees or something with offices all over the world, including China. And um, what he did was he took this information that he had trying to tie Trump to, you know, the Russian bank, and he went to the FBI and he gave them some white papers along with some data files that allegedly contained evidence supporting this existence of this purported secret communication channel. Again, going back to that mm -hmm. marketing email. So during the conversation, the FBI had asked, um, it said, during the meeting, Sussman lied about the capacity in which he was providing the allegations to the FBI. Specifically, Sussman stated falsely that he was not doing his work on the aforementioned allegations 
for any client. That right there is key. Because that um, led the FBI general counsel to understand that Sussman was acting as a good citizen, merely passing along information, not as a paid advocate or political operative, but rather as a good guy. In other words, he was just doing his civic duty and basically putting in a police report, if you will. Right. Well, later on, when he went before Congress, he contradicted himself. Because I'm going to read to you what they uh, said here. And again, this is all in the indictment. It's on page 25. It says, Sussman contradicts his false statements and testimony before Congress. And this was around, in or around December of 2017. Sussman testified under penalty of perjury before staffers of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, which was investigating Russian interference and other matters relating to the 2016 presidential uh, campaign. During his testimony, Sussman directly contradicted his false statements to the FBI and agency that he was not acting on behalf of any client. Now, this is the question they asked. When you decided to engage the two principals, one, the FBI general counsel in September, and the general counsel of agency two, and it doesn't mention who mm -hmm. that agency is, in December, you were doing that on your own volition based on information another client provided you. Is that correct? No. That was his answer. Remember back then he said he wasn't representing any client. Sure. And it goes on with the question. So what was, so did your client direct you to have those conversations? His answer, yes. Okay. And your client also was waiting of you to, and then it says redacted, in February to disclose the information that an individual had provided you? His answer, yes. Okay. I want to ask you, so you mentioned that your client directed you to have these engagements with the FBI, and there's another section they had to redact, and to disseminate the information that client provided you. Is that correct? Here's his answer. Well, I apologize for the double negative. It isn't not correct, but when you say my client directed me, we had a conversation as lawyers do with their clients about client needs and objectives and the best course to take for a client. And so it may have been a decision that we came together. I mean, I don't want to imply that I was sort of directed to do something against my better judgment or that we were in any sort of conflict. But this was, I think it's most accurate to say it was done on behalf of my client, unquote. Since when does any lawyer do anything without being paid a lot of money? Exactly. And then as you go through the indictment, there are numerous, numerous billings to the Clinton campaign and, and other people. Right. So who was the client? The client was the Clinton campaign and yeah. the Democrat National Committee, I'm pretty sure. Right. And it, it specifically says in here who uh, the, the meetings were with. Some of them were with the Clinton campaign. Others were with the researchers. But he was still billing the Clinton campaign for all of this work that he was doing, whether it was having meetings with uh, other people that were involved in trying to tie Trump to this Russian bank. I don't know. I, I read that and I thought, he's got a lot of explaining to do. I don't got know. Got a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to get out of that one, but 
and it really depends, I guess, on uh, Durham is giving the information to. Do you remember the? I think it's the DOJ, isn't his name? Um, let me see here. Can't remember who, who's the. You, you mean the AG? No, no, no. the The gentleman that runs the Department of Justice. Oh, gosh, I'm not even sure. It's. Hmm. I had his name here a minute ago, but there's quite a few people involved. That's why there's several. It's not just Durham. So what what we're pointing out here is that on Watergate, they simply got in trouble for tapping the phones. It, you got to keep in mind, in the 70s, technology was pretty low tech compared to now. Mm-hmm. So tapping the phones meant, you know, you got a wired phone in there. It's plugged into the wall. And you install a device on the phone so that they can listen in on all the phone calls. Mm -hmm. And then stealing some documents, which were probably in a filing cabinet or something. Right. But now we can do all these things electronically. Right. We can, we can go in and monitor email traffic. We can break into servers and steal information. We can monitor cell phone communications and they were actually utilizing the the FBI to do this too because they were applying for these false warrants with this FISA court which that is kind of strange in itself what FISA what does FISA stand for foreign it has to do with foreign enemies FISA hold on, I'm going to look that one up because okay. I, I can't remember <laughs> I can't remember what that acronym stands for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Okay, so they're submitting a thing to the FISA court, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, to spy on President Trump using false information. Now, the thing I've been wondering all along is if you were one of these FISA judges and you had been duped like this, and you'd been lied to and given false information, and then you had been giving, and not only that, but they, they over and over, they got multiple FISA warrants mm -hmm. using false information when they knew it was false information. And yet they're using this act, which is designed to go after foreign actors, to go after a presidential candidate, and then after he was in office, to go after a sitting president and try to implicate him in something he hadn't done. So if you look at, if you compare this to what was going on with the Watergate scandal, this is a lot worse. Oh, the Watergate scandal is small fries compared to this. Totally. Yeah, I would encourage everyone just to go on and read the indictment. <clears throat> it does get a little confusing because it has to do I, with computers. Well, I, I know. I read it through, and it's like, oh, my God. It's yeah. like, this is making my head explode. It does. My head was spinning, too. But, you know, one of the things that the the tech executive that was involved, um, that individual had a contract with the government. They were already working on cybersecurity and privacy issues and stuff like that. So I, I know that Durham is going to uncover all the little details, and I'm sure as time goes out, uh, more and more will come out to the public as to 
you know, what exactly happened here. But from this indictment that I read on um, uh, Michael Sussman, it just appears that they were trying to tie Trump to this email, which, as I said, was really an email for a marketing company uh, that he did not own. But they were trying to start a narrative there. Let me see if I can find it in the indictment and I'll read it to your listeners where they were talking back and forth to each other. It was uh, an email. Let me see here. So. Go ahead. Yeah. I wanted to stress how important this is. It's like if you can do this to a president of the United States and they can leverage all of this foreign intelligence, FISA, against a president, they can do it against any of us. Absolutely. And, and with all this tyranny that's been going on, I was thinking about, I, I found an interesting article called Six Steps the Democrats Will Take to Fundamentally Alter America and Ensure Their Permanent Power. Mm -hmm. And it it lines up with so many things that we've seen going on in this state and in this country. So I, I wanted to cover some of this stuff. So the one thing is, is they want to allow non-citizens to vote in the United States. And we've talked about all of this illegal immigration going on mm -hmm. and how they're trying to, in, in some place, like New York City, they're already allowing 800,000 non-citizens to vote in city elections. Now, yeah. I look, did you know that it's actually in the Constitution that that's illegal? I did not know that. Yes, it is. It's totally illegal. So, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he made a statement in which he said he would support legislation to bring millions more into the democratic, democratic process, which drives me crazy when they talk about the democratic process. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're not a democracy yeah, we're in a this republic. country. We're a republic. We're a representative republic. And over and over, and I'm even hearing this on so-called conservative news outlets. I hear them saying it on Newsmax all the time. I hear them saying it on Fox News all the time. I hear them referring to our democracy. But we don't have a democracy. We have a representative republic. And the reason that's important is because in a democracy, it would allow essentially mob rule in which we don't have popular elections, and the reason we don't have a popular election in this country is because it allows everybody to have representation, like these states that you refer to as flyover states. Mm -hmm. They would just get ignored. They would. Because you'd have a couple of these, these big states, like California or New York, in which they their votes alone would be enough to cancel out the majority of minorities. So they, 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 they try to sell this thing like, oh, well, we're looking out for minorities. We, we think everybody deserves to be represented. Well, American citizens deserve to be represented, mm -hmm. not illegal aliens. Right. 
I agree. And I know people get mad when we refer to them as illegal aliens, but they are here illegally. Yeah, what had, what always had bothered me, um, I'm originally from California. We had a very major illegal immigration problem there. And, you know, when they come in and vote, most of them want to go back to their own country. They don't want to stay here. Mm-hmm. So they come in and they vote in laws that are favorable for them while they're here, that benefit them while they're here. And then when, whether they be good, bad, or indifferent, and then when they go back to their, their country, uh, we that are American citizens are stuck with all of this. We have to continue living with the fallout from whether the legislation was good or whether the legislation was bad or whether we had good leaders or bad leaders, we have to live with that. And so we're paying a heavy price, I believe, by, you know, allowing this to go on in our country. Right. And that section in the, in the Constitution, I was saying it's Article 2, Section 1. And it talks about elections. It's actually Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress. But no senator or representative or person holding an office or of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. So they're talking about electors, and you've got like the the H they're, they're trying to eliminate the electoral college and you've got these other states that are trying to put forth this thing in which if a certain number of electoral votes get selected for a particular party then all of these states what they'll do is they'll they'll change their votes defy the will of the voters and they will vote for the popular vote mm-hmm. which is a violation of the constitution mm-hmm. clearly yeah yeah, because everybody has to have equal representation, every state. Um, you know, I remember when I studied this, it was very confusing. It was like popular vote, electoral college, you know, what does all this stuff really mean? And it took me a while to figure it out. But, you know, many people do not still understand what it's all about. And you just explained it right there. Um, these flyover states would basically be wiped out because which states have the highest populations? California. Uh, New York, of course. Uh, Texas is another one. Chicago. So basically, the Midwest or the rural areas, um, you know, it's very dense there. And so those people would not have as many votes to gain the popular vote. Yet, they're still a part of the United States. So they have every right to um, have equal representation as long, right along with the rest of the United States. Yeah, and the Constitution also states you have to be 18 years of age to vote. Mm-hmm. So we've had, like, this SB 8 that recently they tried to put through in the state of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Violates the Constitution. Yeah. Let, me, you, let me read you. Let me, yeah, go ahead, I was going to ask you this. Do you think that would have been challenged uh, all the way up to the Supreme Court? Oh, God, I should hope so. Or do you think the state has the right to do that and it wouldn't be challenged? 
I don't really know the answer to that. I'm, I'm I don't either. I'm going to dig into that a little bit more, but I'm pretty sure the New Mexico Constitution also, that's a violation of that as well. Mm. So it's, it's one of those things where you can't just pass something that violates the Constitution. You have to actually amend the Constitution, which is a much more difficult process. Right. So in SB 8, what they were trying to put through, and luckily we shot this down, Section 2, Section 1-4-2 was going to allow 16 and 17-year-olds to vote in regular elections. Now, the problem with that is, uh, number one, it's a constitutional violation. The other thing is, think about this. When I was 16 years old, did I care about elections or did I even have an, a good understanding of how the government works most don't <laughs> was i up to date on the candidates things like that i wasn't and yes there probably are some exceptions but the thing is is 16 and 17 year olds are for the most part not mature enough to be doing this and mm -hmm. they and nancy pelosi even made a statement where she's talking about how well they need to be involved in this thing because they're learning about how the government you're right they are learning about how the government works and they need to learn about it before they start voting mm -hmm. they do absolutely i can't agree with you more yeah but what about these people too i'm just throwing that out there that say well my vote doesn't count right so, okay, you're right. Your vote doesn't count if they're coming in and they're allowing illegal immigrants to vote in the election. I couldn't agree with you more that, on that. <laughs> that, that is disenfranchisement yes. right there. That does yes. cancel your vote Yeah. by people that are probably, they're, they're not aware of anything to do with the Constitution. They're not familiar with our laws. They're up. If they're here illegally, they broke the law to get into the country, for starters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they haven't learned our language. Can they even read the ballot? I, I don't know. Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. I've never run into that. Right. So here's another thing, too. Section 3, Section 1-4-5.2 in this terrible SB8 bill requires all state offices providing benefits or services plus the MVD to automatically register voters. This automatic registration is an opt-out only program. Okay, so this means that, let's say they get this 16 and 17 year old thing together and you're 16 years old, you're, you, got your driver's license, you're all excited, you go to the MVD, you get your license, they register you to vote without you even knowing about it. And here's an interesting thing too, if they're going to automatically register you to vote unless you opt out, what are they going to register you as? Oh, that's a good point. A Democrat? I bet. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, I would wonder if they would say, you know, you get automatically registered. Do you want to, you know, do decline to state, Republican, Democrat, you know, Libertarian, Green Party, whatever. Or you're right. Would they just go ahead and assign right. you? Right. And here's the thing, too. That's dangerous. Right. So 
you have all of these 16 and 17 year olds that will get get put on the voter rolls mm -hmm. and like i just mentioned 16 and 17 year olds for the most part are not interested in voting no. they have they have no interest in it whatsoever but they're they're on the voter rolls mm -hmm. so you have these people on the voter rolls which are inactive which is just just inviting fraud because another thing they do not want is they don't want voter ID. Mm -hmm. So anybody could come in to the, to the election, to the polls, and knowing the name of these large numbers of inactive voters, they could come in and say, oh, I'm so-and-so. And since you don't have to show an ID, uh, they just have to take your word for it. Mm -hmm. And they can vote any way they want for that person and that person will never know never will never know right that they they've been used that's right well you know what about these you know 16 and 18 year olds you're talking about you know another part of this bill which i'm sure you'll cover but they wanted to do permanent mail out ballots yes okay so let's say this ballot gets mailed to your home and you're the mother and you know, you've got two daughters, one's 16, the other one's, you know, maybe 17 or whatever. And their ballots come in the mail. And they're too busy with their Instagram, so they don't really care about the ballot. And the mom says, here, here's my ballot. I want you to fill it out exactly like mine, sign it, and we're going to mail them in. Yeah, and most kids are going, oh, okay, mom, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, here you go. Now, what about the parent <laughs> that says to the kid, he says, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to wait. Well you're 16 and there's the door <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna live under my roof you're gonna do this that's right <laughs> i mean can you see all the coercion and the the fraud and everything that's going to take place with this oh yeah yeah and then the other thing about that too was the uh unmanned drop boxes right now there's fraud right there i mean oh you know speaking of this uh it's a very good point you made about the uh, ballots going out and people signing it because you don't have to show ID or anything, especially with the melon, right? Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine this last election, um, when they got their ballot in the mail, they got each each one got their, their ballot, and they received four additional ballots from people that had previously lived in that same home. Nice. So you could just fill those out and nobody Fill them know. out, sign them, mail them back, boom. Who's going to check it? Right. Well, there's that permanent absentee voter list in which what they do is they, they, they come up with this absentee list and they mail out these ballots automatically. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if the person that's living in the, uh, that address has died or moved or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. That ballot's still going to arrive there. Right. Anybody could fill it out and mail it in. Yeah, they could. So, I mean, you know, you start putting some years on this thing. And you and know, that absent, that permanent list could just get bigger oh and bigger goodness. and bigger. Yeah. You could have 10, 15 different, you know, absentee ballots that you sign and send them in. Right. Yeah, no, this is ripe for fraud. And I'm, I'm really glad that this didn't pass. I was very concerned about SB8. Yeah, this SB8 was all a bill about enabling fraud. Okay, like... Sec this is a good one. Section 4, Section 1-4-5.5. Provide list of eligible unregistered voters to third parties by request. Mm. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. 
Um, online voter registration will allow third-party registers to register voters electronically. Allow third-party registers to register. I don't get it. Yeah, online voter registration will allow third-party registers to register voters. Oh, oh, it's like a, a separate individual, uh, you know, we could say company, like uh, MVD now that we have here in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. They're like a third party okay. for the regular MVD. So in my list of uh, six things let, here. Let me, yeah, go I ahead. I want to ask you one more question yeah, no, on go this ahead. list we have here on this SB8. But uh, Section 7, which is 1-4-27.1. Yeah. It says voting rights of felons to be restored automatically. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, the argument they, they do is they say, oh, well, these people, they deserve their right to, to vote. But I'm thinking, well, haven't their rights been taken away? I mean, if they're a criminal and they're a felon, are we talking about are we talking about people that have served their time and yeah. then got out after? Yeah, that's okay. what it is. Mm -hmm. See, I have to say that I think if you've served your time, you served your time. And and I don't I, I think that if you've served your time and part of that punishment while you're serving your time is that you're incarcerated and you're not allowed to vote or anything like that and you served your time and then you're out doesn't that mean that you should have your rights restored? That's how I feel. I was just wondering how you felt about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you've paid your debt to society, why not? You know, restore those voting rights to you because you still have to live your life out here and you should have some sort of say-so about how this country's going. No, I agree. You know? Yeah, I think so. So I think once you're done with, with your time, it should be restored automatically. And actually, that was actually the, the, the second thing in which the that I was going to cover on this list mm -hmm. here's an interesting statement by Bernie Sanders he says I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy there they are using that word again yes even for terrible people because once you start chipping away you're running down a slippery slope okay Bernie we're not a democracy and Actually, he's not even claimed to be a Democrat. He's a Democrat socialist, which I, I, I don't still don't quite understand that term, <laughs> how you can be a socialist and a Democrat. But I, I, I don't know. Well, I, nowadays, aren't they the same thing? Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he's probably right there. He, he probably is right. Yeah, he, so he is a Democratic socialist because they're the same thing. If you're a Democrat, you're a socialist now because that's what the Democrat Party has become. I was hearing on the news this morning, they're talking about how the Democrat Party is, may very well just become extinct. And I think that's entirely possible why, by the way that they're going in which the tyranny that they have been imposing on people, more and more, like we've mentioned earlier, more and more Democrats are jumping ship and they don't want to be Democrats anymore. Yeah, this is very true. Because it's too much for them. It's too much for even people that identified as liberal previously. Because liberal, the whole con the name the name liberal no longer means what it used to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, this is just my view on it, but I think it's not going to go away. And the reason I say that is because a lot of these thought processes are being taught in our universities. I mean, look at what they're doing with CRT. 
they're already trying to turn us against each other. Hate. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. Well, now in the universities, what are they teaching them? Socialism's good. America's bad. You know, and it's just going right up the ladder. So when they graduate, you know, and get their degree and they go out in the world, they've already been indoctrinated at the university level as well. So I don't see this going away anytime soon. I think they're just going to continue to perpetuate. And I think that's really where the conservatives lost it. We lost it with our kids because if you look back in history, that's how Hitler eventually overtook the world. What did he say? He's not going to start with the the older generation like you and I Mm -hmm. because we're already set in our ways. We have a certain set of values and morals and norms that we go by. He says, I'm going to start with the young. Right, the young head, the, the head the full young. of mush, Absolutely. as Rush used to say. Yeah, mold the young, you know, because they don't mm-hmm. know any better, right? Well, look at look, look at what the outcome of that was. You know, we're talking, he was going to take over the entire world. The Holocaust came out of that. It was a disaster. So, yeah, I don't see that changing anytime soon at all. Well, I'm showing here that according to a 2002 study supported by grants from, guess who, George Soros. Mm-hmm of the Open Society Institute, they found that 70% of convicted felons would vote for Democrats in presidential and Senate races if they could vote. Now, does this make you wonder why the Democrats are so soft on crime? Does it make you wonder why they they don't convict like these BLM rioters that burned down buildings and assaulted people during during all this nonsense over the past couple of years? Does it make you wonder? Th- because they're trying to basically buy these people's votes. They're trying to say, well, if, if you'll vote for us, then you can, you can commit crime and there won't be any consequences. So, so they see the Democrats as being, hey, this is who we want in office so that we can do what we've been doing without really being punished. Right? Does that make sense? It's all part of their big plan. Oh, it, it totally makes sense. But it takes me back many, many years to when I was in college. And one of my professors, he said, you want to know one thing that the elites don't want? They don't want chaos. Not at least up in, up in their levels. Why? Mm-hmm. Because with chaos, you lose control. So, But not when the tables are turned and it's reversed and they bring chaos to us and confusion and we're all separated and we're not united as one people, although that is happening more and more. Right. But look at what happened up in, in Canada as an example. All that chaos, the trucker envoy, everything. I mean, you could tell that Trudeau was visibly shaken. Mm-hmm. And... Well, they, it, they actually were very successful. A lot of cities in Canada dropped their mandates. They gave in. Mm-hmm. They rolled over. That's right. And and look at what's happening now. I mean, even with the mass, mass mandate here in New Mexico being dropped just recently. Well, which coincidentally was right after the governor took a beating in the legislative sle- session and pretty much lost everything. Right. But do you realize... So now she's simply trying to stay in office. She's she's trying to say, oh, well, you know, I kept you safe and, and, I, and I dropped the mandates when, when everything... Lo- well, the science hasn't changed. No, it hasn't. No, the only thing that's changed is the, I heard it, the political science has changed. Yeah, but do you realize New Mexico and Hawaii were the only two states that still had the mask mandates on? Well, it doesn't surprise me. And then she dropped it, and I think Hawaii still has it on, but we were one of the last. We're yeah. always the last, right? What do they we're say? We're last in everything. We're the last and first and the first and last. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. We're last in everything. So... 
I was, uh, here's an interesting thing too, on the third point, abolishing the Electoral College. This is what the Democrats have been talking about for years. Mm -hmm. They want to go to this popular vote thing because they know that the big cities, which are, I, I don't know, I think, I think the big cities, like when you talk about like the big cities in New York and California, this whole group think, group think phenomena seems to kick in. It's like you've got people that live in these urban areas. They seem to have this different kind of mindset. They do. It's like they're like a, they're like a board collective where mm -hmm. they, just, they all think the same way. Mm -hmm. They do. And uh, this, again, is all part of the Great Reset. <clears throat> um, they want people to move out of the rural areas into the urban areas because it's easier to control people there. Yeah. It's much harder when they're out in the world and they're spread out miles apart, you know. So if you can bring everybody into the city, uh, it's a lot easier to contain them and control them in that environment. Um, I've talked to many people here in New Mexico about the Great Reset, and they're like, what, what, what is that? Um, it's coming at us like a bullet train right now. Totally. And people don't realize that their lives are about to be uh, taken over and completely controlled. And uh, they're doing it through banking, uh, employers, a lot of these corporations like, uh, you know, I just went to a few office supply stores around here. And, of course, these uh, big box, you know, do-it-yourself stores. And if you notice, they're all still wearing their masks, mm -hmm. even though the mandate's off here. And I've asked many of the employees. So are well, they making their employees do that? They are. It's a corporate thing. That's what I've been told by the employees. They said the corporations are telling us we have to do this. I said, well... Don't they follow our state law? Yeah. Well, it's just what they told us See, to See, that's do. the excuse they were using early on. Mm -hmm. They were saying, oh, well, it's because we're following the local mandates. Well, no, they're not. No. They're not. They're, and they've proven they lied about that. They're yeah. not following local mandates. They're not. No, just like a couple of years ago, I, I, you, you know about my incident at Costco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 you can find that one on the web if you look for it. <laughs> yeah. 85,000 hits on that one. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I threw a fit at Costco, and then I canceled my membership. I did, too. But they're still being tyrannical at Costco. They are. They totally are. They are. And they're, they're still chasing you down if you go in there. It's like, you might slip through. I, I had a friend of mine the other day who sent me an email. says, oh, well, they're, you know, they've, they've loosened things up at Costco, and they're, they're no longer enforcing these mandates. And, and I said, what, and you're just going to run right back to them just mm -hmm. like that? And and we got into a, well, it's a good friend of mine. It's like we got into a disagreement, let's just say, about <laughs> that. And I said, I will never forget how Costco treated me, right. ever. Right. I will never go back to Costco. Yeah. Hey, they, you know, these woke businesses that treated me awful over the past couple of years, I'm not going to forget what you did to me. You've shown who you are. The yeah. corporation has shown who they are. The management of these places has shown who they are. And you are ugly. Mm -hmm. I don't like you. Mm -hmm. I don't like the way you look. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do business with you anymore at all. Now that I've seen who you are, and essentially you've taken the mask off so I can see who you are, I don't want to give you my money anymore. Right. You know, I have a friend that uh, works for Disneyland right now, and Disneyland is not removing the masks either, even though California has, you know, called off the mask. Good, I say boycott Disneyland. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. There's too many, you know, what do you want to call them, Disneyites, I guess. Disneyites. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I don't see that happening, but I know she's going to be retiring here pretty soon. She says, I just can't take it anymore. Yeah. 
She says, um, you know, they want us to wear these masks. Oh, and they gave her a vax mandate. She has 30 days to get the vaccine or she's fired. Wow. So she's going to be retiring before that time. But um, she just goes, I, I, I can't handle it here anymore. This is just too much. I mean, oh, yeah. And speaking of the vaccine, um, I just watched a podcast of a, uh, this kind of a little off the subject, but it's talking mm. about the vaccine. Yeah, go ahead. Um, a mortician back in uh, Alabama uh, was on a CR, the CR podcast, and uh, his name is R- Richard Hirschman. And Richard's been very disturbed by what he's been seeing. He's he's an embalmer, and he says um, this vaccine has caused a lot of problems in the mortuary science business. And he said, you cannot believe these types of clots that are coming out of people. And he said, uh, the clots are fibrous. And when you rinse them under the water, they don't lose their shape or form. Wow. And he goes, people cannot live with these things in them. So he reached out to some medical doctors and the medical doctor said, um, you know, we're getting more and more of these. And he said, the patient doesn't realize they have them in them because the blood flows around them. But the doctor said, what I'm more, more worried about is the microclotting. Right. And he says these microclots will travel to organs like kidneys and liver and so on and so forth, and they impede the blood flow, and then you begin to get this organ failure. So this embalmer was saying, well, when I'm at the end and there's this dried blood, it looks like like used coffee grinds, what that would look like. He goes, that's the best way I could explain it to you. And the doctor goes, that is the microclotting. Mm-hmm. So... Um, he said in 2019, uh, deaths were just kind of so-so. 2020 was me so-so, picked up a little bit. But he said in 2021, the deaths are going through the roof. They are. And he said throughout the the industry, he's hearing from embalmers in Mississippi and Alabama and Indiana and all over the country are saying, we are really having a hard time with these clots. They can't push the formaldehyde through the bodies. So... I again, <laughs> I think information is going to come out on that eventually too. Oh, Espe- I hope so. Especially with the Pfizer re- having to release five thousand pages at a time of of the information of the clinical trials and all that. Right. Just like this Durham investigation, so many things are going to well, start coming you know, the out. The problem is, is that the damage is done with a lot of people. It a is. lot of people didn't know any better. Just like that one thing I watched this morning, where the guy, his sixteen-year-old kid died of myocarditis while playing in a in a baseball game that's so sad and he gave he got his he got his 16 year old child the shot because he was concerned about his health because he believed the lies that were being pushed by the media right now you know i'm thinking well god as a dad why didn't you do a little bit more work to uh do some research because the information's been out there for years now Mm -hmm. i've been pushing the information Tens of thousands of doctors have been out there pushing the information for a couple of years now, and it's up to you to know, you know, but the problem is, I think a lot of people, they've, they've grown up with this idea that, well, the government is looking out for you, and that is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to look out for you, 
but we've got this vicious feeding cycle going on between corrupt politicians, pharmaceutical companies that are making billions and billions of dollars off of selling this poison to people, and and then you've got Fauci, the guy's a millionaire, he's the highest paid politi highest paid em federal employee I think that there is. What he's getting over four hundred thousand dollars a year. And so he wants to keep this scam going as long as possible because all of these people want to keep the scam going as long as possible. Mm -hmm. These pharmaceuticals are really, really banking some serious money on this, and they don't care about whether they're killing people because they're getting away with it because they're doing it under the protection of the federal government, which has said they can't be sued. Yeah. You know, when it first came out, um, I didn't get the vaccine. Um, there wasn't enough information on it. Yeah. It came out too quickly. I know the FDA requires 10 years of studies of clinical trials, and it didn't go through that. So I didn't want to be a guinea pig. Yeah. And so I chose not to go get Me the neither. vaccine. And I said, let's, I told my wife and I, let's just wait and we'll see what happens. Well, I'm glad I, I waited and I, I didn't get it because the things that are happening, the vaccine are not working. I had one client of mine who got the vaccine and he got his boosters mm -hmm. and then he came he, he's right here in albuquerque and he ended up with uh, COVID 19 and he's an older gentleman and he almost died mm -hmm. he had to go to press hospital hospital and they gave him monoclonal antibodies and he was in there for quite some time and he got out his brother wasn't vaxxed and he got into an accident and said well or an argument and he told his brother why should why should you get me sick and I'm thinking, is he listening to himself? Yeah. We'll be right back after the break. <laughs> 